Lord, thank you for another Sunday where we can gather to study your word. I pray that you would help us as we begin this new class this morning, that as we shift our attention to um, our, our responsibility, our obligation to you, that of sharing the gospel, that we would be encouraged and equipped to be faithful in this important task you've given to your church. So Lord, bless uh, the speaking and the hearing this morning that it might bring you honor and make the truth clear and plain as it ought to be. Amen. All right, so we are starting a new adult Bible class uh, that will take us for at least the next 12 to 15 weeks, maybe 20, I don't know. We may add some things on as we go. Um, but the top is, topic is going to be evangelism. So we just finished about 50 weeks of systematic theology, uh, of doctrine, and so we're going to be shifting towards a new class focused on evangelism. And before we jump in, I just want to ask the question, why? Why would we take our adult Bible class, our Sunday school hour, and talk about evangelism? Well, it's not just because we thought, well, we haven't done that yet, we don't have a better idea, let's do evangelism. No, there's actually a reason why we've chosen to focus the next 15 weeks or so on what it means to share the gospel with people. Uh, this is something that just as a pastor, I'm convinced is very important for our church uh, for our congregation in this moment, in this season, in the life of our church. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think it's important that we address this subject, first of all, because evangelism is the necessary consequence, it's the natural outworking of really what we've been teaching in this class. Um, like I said, prior to this class on evangelism, we did 50 weeks on doctrine, understanding what the Bible teaches about a variety of issues and subjects. And even prior to that, uh, we took um, over a year to go through the whole Bible. We took usually one book per week, and we would give an overview, whether it be Jeremiah or Galatians or whatever it may be. And we taught an overview of each book of the Bible, book by book. So if you look back on the last several years at our adult Sunday school class, really what we've been trying to accomplish is to help our people understand the Bible. That's how you could really simplify it all down. Why would we do a survey of each book of the Bible? Why would we teach systematic theology or Bible doctrine? It's because we want people to understand truth. We want people to know the word. But here's the thing. The truth, when you understand the truth of Scripture, the message of the Bible, that message is not meant to be contained. That message is not just intended to be received and then sat on. When we understand and receive the truth, it should lead to a number of things. It should lead to doxology. When we understand the Bible and what God teaches, it should lead us to worship. It should lead us to transformation. Um, understanding and knowing the truth is meant to produce change in us. But that's not all that the reception and a grasp of the truth leads to. It also leads to this overflow. An understanding of the truth is intended to lead to proclamation. The truth is meant not only to be understood and believed, it's also meant to be shared. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
So we're teaching this class on evangelism because we're convinced, just from a pastoral perspective, that this should be the natural outflow of what we have been doing in this class, which is trying to understand the Bible and what it teaches. The truth is meant to be shared. There's a second reason I'm eager to, to have this class take place in our church and for us as a congregation to be focused on evangelism. And the second reason is this. In this season of our church, if you look at where we're at right now as a congregation, I think there's a danger of becoming complacent and forgetting our mission. It's easy to be excited about the many good things that are going on. It's easy to become more concerned about solving our parking challenge than rescuing souls. But listen, our mission as a church is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus. And we aren't done with that yet. We haven't accomplished that. There's still work to be done. This duty of making disciples for the glory of God is to be discharged until we die or until Jesus gets back, whichever comes first. Comes first. Um, so if God is going to be glorified in our church, it matters that we busy ourselves with doing his will and seeking his goals for our church. And so I think there's, there's always a danger in every church of becoming comfortable, becoming complacent, and forgetting that we've been given a mission and that our task isn't done yet. As much as we are thankful for what God has done, as much as we're excited about those who have come to faith, we're excited about those who are growing as disciples of Jesus, um, we have a duty. We have a task. We have a mission that's been given to us, and we don't want to become complacent in that. And then just a third very simple reason why I, I think this class is necessary. Not only is it the natural overflow of grasping the truth. Not only is it um, a mission we need to remain um, diligent in, but third, practically, we just need to be trained in this. Um, We can't expect to be faithful and effective in the task of evangelism if we don't know what evangelism is and we don't know how to do evangelism. So that's just a very practical reason why I think we need to do this class. So my goal is that you, as those who are attending this class, would come out on the other side of it with a clearer understanding of what evangelism is, and that you would come out on the other side better equipped to actually do evangelism, to share the gospel and evangelize the lost. So we want to train our members in this church to be faithful workers, faithful servants, faithful soldiers who are able to do the things that God wants us to be doing as a church. So this ministry, this mission of evangelism is not just the job of your pastor, or two or three gifted individuals. This is something that collectively we as the church are called to. And so our job as leaders in the church is to equip you and to train you so that you can go do the work of the ministry. So we hope to do that and accomplish that in this class. Um, There's a number of different topics we're going to cover, and I'll throw this out there just for your interest. This isn't comprehensive. We may add some things, but we're going to talk about the doctrine of conversion to understand what it actually means for someone to be born again, like what is it that we want to see happen. We're going to talk about a definition of the gospel. Um, You'd be surprised how many people have a hard time actually articulating what is the gospel and explaining it, you know, the the elevator pitch, the short, boiled-down version, and then, you know, to even explain it in an expanded sense. What does it mean to understand the good news? So we want to talk about that and help you... Um, articulate the gospel with clarity. Uh, We're going to address questions about God's sovereignty and our responsibility in evangelism. If God is sovereign over conversion, but we're supposed to share the gospel, how does that fit together? We're going to to look at that. 
Um, I'm excited to just look in Scripture and observe how did Jesus evangelize and, and look at how Christ engaged with people because there's something there for us to learn. We're going to look at how the apostles evangelized when we read the book of Acts, when we read the epistles. How did they share the gospel and what can we learn from them? I'd like to bring up and try to address some hindrances to evangelism. Why don't we share the gospel? What are things that get in the way? How can we overcome those obstacles? We'd like to talk to you guys about how to use your testimony in sharing the gospel. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a story of how God revealed himself to you and what took place when your heart changed. And that's something that can be useful in sharing the gospel with Others And there's a way to do that that effectively shares the gospel. There's also ways to tell your story that make you the hero of the story and draw the attention to you and don't effectively share the good news of Christ. So we're going to talk about how to share your testimony in evangelism. Um, how do we deal with objections? When you're sharing Christ and someone has a question or an objection and they're pushing back, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? We'd like to equip you uh, with some, some practical help in that area. Um, How do we call for a response? When it seems like someone is feeling conviction of sin and and they're understanding the good news and and they've come right up to that line, what do we do? How do we call them to respond appropriately without coercing and manipulating them, but also making it clear, like, you need to do this today. Will you receive Christ? Um, We're going to talk about how to call for a response and a number of other things. There's several other uh, ideas and different issues we'd like to address um, under the heading of evangelism. So those are some of the topics we plan to cover. Uh, The teachers for this class will primarily be uh, Stephen Parkin, a pastor here. And Stephen definitely has an evangelistic heart. I think it's something he's gifted in and has a unique burden for. I'm excited for him to do a lot of the teaching in this class And then Dan Rudman will also be helping teach. He's a member of our church and someone who has been involved in evangelistic ministry and evangelistic training for a long time. So I'm excited for you guys to benefit from some of the input that he has to share. And then I'll probably sprinkle in uh, a few times as well. So we'll be the ones teaching in this class for the next 12, 15 weeks. Um, As far as what our resources are, we aren't necessarily using a curriculum for this class Um, For the last class we taught, we relied heavily on a few different systematic theology books uh, that were helpful resources that that our teachers used uh, to sort of rely on. But this class will be a little different. Um, uh, As always, my thoughts, Stephen's thoughts, Dan's thoughts have been helped at various points in the past by um, different books, different different resources. We'll probably draw from some of those. Uh, We've all had... um, different people in our lives who have trained us and taught us things that are useful and helpful. We've had our own experiences that we may share. Um, But as always, we want scripture to drive the class. We want to know what the Bible says about evangelism. What is evangelism? How do we evangelize? Why do we evangelize? Uh, We want to know what the Bible teaches about this. So we're going to look at a number of different biblical principles um, and even take you on some biblical studies where we observe some things throughout scripture Uh, But we will pull from time to time from a number of other resources as well. But uh, this is sort of going to be a hodgepodge. We don't have necessarily a curriculum for this class. But our hope is that this class will be a challenge to you. You'll come away with a clear understanding of what your obligations are. That it will be a help to you. That you'll be better equipped um, and encouraged in the area of evangelism. So all that's somewhat introductory as far as uh, this class of evangelism. So my my task today... 
is to answer one very simple question to really start off this class, and that's the most basic thing we need to understand. What is evangelism? What is evangelism? It may seem obvious to you. You may say, doesn't everybody know what evangelism is? And you may have certain things that immediately come into your mind, but it may not be obvious to everyone. Um, And some of us may have different ideas that pop into our head when we understand the word evangelism. So what is evangelism? How should we understand this idea? What is it? Um, To some people, evangelism is forcing your ideas on other people. That's what comes into some people's mind when they think about evangelism. Uh, Other people see evangelism as simply showing the love of Christ, helping people, doing good works in the community, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Isn't that evangelism? Um, Some people see evangelism as a program or an event that the church does. That's where everybody gets together on a Thursday night and they knock on some doors. Or it's where we plan a special Saturday evening event where the pastor is going to preach and we try to invite as many lost people as we can. That's evangelism. Uh, Some people see evangelism as apologetics, as arguing with skeptics and trying to debate with atheists or those who follow a different religion and trying to convince them that their ideas are false and that only the gospel is true. But what is evangelism understood biblically? Again, because there's all these different kinds of things that might come into our mind. I'm just going to share very simply two things this morning, two aspects of evangelism biblically understood. And the first is this. Number one, evangelism is proclamation. Evangelism is proclamation. It is an announcement of good news. Uh, The biblical word euangelizo is a verb, and it simply means to preach the euangelion, to to communicate the gospel, the good news. Uh, And it's not limited to formal preaching in a pulpit. So don't just think preaching or proclaiming in the sense of what I'm doing right now. It, It includes that, Uh, But it's more. It's simply announcing or heralding the good news, the truth that the world needs to hear. Uh, John the Baptist did this in Luke chapter 3, 18. It says, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. He evangelized. Jesus did this in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He was announcing the good news, preaching a message to the people. He was evangelizing. The apostles did this. We see in Acts chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas continued there in the city they were in to preach the gospel, to announce the good news. They were evangelizing. The apostles charged their successors to do this. In 2 Timothy 4.5, Paul writes, As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. John the Baptist did it. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. They charged their successors, those who would lead in the church, to do it. This is evangelism. It's proclaiming the good news, which brings up the question, what's the good news that John preached? What's the good news that Jesus preached? What's the good news that the apostles were proclaiming? What's the good news that their successors are supposed to be announcing over and over again? It's the gospel. It's the euangelion. It's the heart of evangelism. And we'll talk in detail in future weeks uh, about defining this gospel and unpacking the full message of the gospel. But I need to summarize it very simply today, and I can summarize it this way. The gospel is the good news 
that God is, through Christ, reconciling sinners to himself. That is good news. That's the announcement that the world needs to hear. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, atonement for sin has been made. That death has been defeated. And that now eternal life is available to all who would repent and believe. It's a free gift. A gift of grace. And it's given to all who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That God, through his son Jesus Christ, is reconciling sinners to himself. That's the good news. That's the heart of the message. The Apostle Paul defines the gospel this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. Here's his definition. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. When you look at the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament, they're telling people that Jesus, the Son of God, died for sins as a sacrifice. And he rose again on the third day. That's at the heart of the gospel. What that means is that you cannot do evangelism without sharing this message. You cannot do evangelism without proclaiming this good news. It's a message. There's content to it. There's necessary information that has to be communicated to people if we're going to do evangelism. It's truth that is meant to be communicated to the world. Uh, There's an old quote that's rather famous. It's been wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've heard it before. And it says, preach the gospel at all times. You guys know the second half? If you must, use words. Use words if necessary. It's been translated sometimes. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Now, the intent of that quote um, I can sympathize with. It's trying to prove the point that our lives are supposed to testify to the truth. And amen and amen to that, that sentiment. But that statement itself falls short. You can't preach the gospel without words. It's impossible. You can't communicate simply by your generosity and your good works with a lost person that God is holy, that they are sinful, that Jesus died as a substitutionary sacrifice, and that they must be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be the nicest guy in the world, the best neighbor of all time, the most sacrificial and generous giver. You can help all the little old ladies across the street. Okay, And they won't understand that they are sinners in need of salvation and that that salvation only comes through faith in the crucified and risen Son of God. That is a message. That is content. That's information. It's news. It's news that has to be proclaimed. Evangelism is a proclamation of the gospel. We must speak. We must speak. It's a concrete message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So evangelism is first and foremost the announcement or the proclamation of good news about salvation through Jesus Christ. But that's not the only part of this definition. Um, Evangelism is more than just sharing this information. It also includes an element of persuasion. Persuasion. So that's the second point. Evangelism is number one, proclamation, but evangelism is secondly, 
persuasion. It's an invitation to respond to the good news. An invitation to respond to the good news. And that's really part of the message itself. We're not sharing the full message if we don't include this invitation to respond. The message itself is an announcement of the good news along with the desired application. It's information that also has implications. And if we don't make clear the implications of the gospel, that men and women must respond, then we haven't really shared the gospel. The gospel is good news that demands a response. So we're not only declaring and announcing the grace and the triumph of Jesus, we're also inviting sinners to come. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Again, to go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, here's the content of Jesus' message, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts chapter 9 verse 28 says that Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Paul disputed with them. He was wrangling with them, wrestling with them, trying to persuade them that the gospel was true and that they must respond to it. And they really didn't like that, which is why they wanted to kill him. Acts chapter 17 says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul didn't just give them cold, bare facts. He reasoned with them. He tried to persuade them. He wanted them to agree and to believe in the gospel. Acts chapter 19, verse 26. Um, This is a criticism of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. There was a man who made a lot of money off of making idols. And as Paul came preaching the gospel, it really cut into his business because people weren't buying idols anymore. And so here's what he says about Paul. He says, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. There is an element of not just proclamation, but of persuasion in evangelistic ministry. You see, the proclamation of the gospel calls for response. It invites, it disputes, it reasons, it appeals not just to the mind, but also to the will. Calling people to respond. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So evangelism is more than just a cold, robotic recitation of facts. It's not just an information dump. We seek to persuade men and women to believe. Paul describes his ministry in 1 Corinthians 9 this way, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. There's a lot we could say about that passage, but the simple point is this. Paul's aim was not simply to inform souls, but to win souls. There's a heart and a desire in the heart of the, of the evangelist to see people receive Christ and to trust him to turn from sin and be saved. And this is important that we understand both of these aspects of evangelism, that it is proclamation, that there has to be the announcement of this news, there has to be information shared, but there's also persuasion. We call for a response. We aim to persuade sinners to believe. Now, I want to clarify, we need to be careful here because there's a danger in what I'm saying. When we're emphasizing um, persuasion and emphasizing uh, the, the desire for response, we need to make sure we don't start thinking that evangelism depends on a person's response. We need to be careful that we don't start thinking we haven't evangelized until someone believes. You see, our efforts to persuade are one thing. We're to do that. But a person actually coming to agreement with us, a person being persuaded, a person repenting from sin and actually believing, that's something that lies beyond our power to achieve. So evangelism, while it includes this element of persuasion, this aim to, to convince sinners to believe. Um, evangelism itself does not depend on a person's response. Salvation is a sovereign work of grace in a sinner's heart. So our efforts to evangelize can be complete even if someone refuses to believe. Um, J.I. Packer in his little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, writes this, that we must understand evangelism not as the effect produced, but as the message delivered. He's very right about that. Evangelism is not the effect produced in the hearer. It needs to be evaluated in terms of the message delivered. And the message includes a proclamation of truth, but also an invitation to respond. It has to include both. What this means is that if we share the full gospel and we call someone to respond, then we have evangelized even if they reject the message, even if they refuse to believe. To put it in another, in other terms, as others have said before, conversion is God's work, evangelism is ours. So we need both aspects. We need proclamation and persuasion um, because there's dangers if we neglect either one of these. Um, there are some people in their efforts to evangelize who focus on proclamation They say, no, we're not supposed to try to persuade. Um, We should not reason with people or, or, or tell them that they need to make a choice. And they feel that that's improper, that it somehow undermines the sovereignty of God, Um, that it somehow um, oversteps the bounds of what we are supposed to do. Um, And I think some people are just a little squeamish about doing that. But I think as we look biblically at what Jesus did, at what the apostles did, they're always calling for a response. And they're not afraid to reason with people. Um, So we can't just be satisfied to share the gospel in a sort of take-it-or-leave-it manner. Um, That's very easy to do in a postmodern, pluralistic society. You can share the gospel with someone and tell them what you believe to be true and what God has done in your life, and they may go, that's great for you. I'm glad that that makes you happy. I'm glad that you have found peace. 
uh, in believing that about God. I, I'm glad that, that, that you found a lot of help and comfort and purpose and identity in this truth. That's wonderful. Um, that's not really that offensive to tell people what you believe and what God has done in your heart. But what is offensive is when you step over the line and say, you need to believe this too. That's where people become offended. And we need to be willing to, to invite sinners to respond and be willing to even seek to persuade them in an appropriate sense. Um, I think another reason we're afraid to maybe persuade people is we're afraid of disappointment. Well, what if I can't persuade them? What if I give my best effort? I give my best arguments? What if I appeal to them and appeal to their conscience and they turn me down? They reject me or they bring up some question that I can't answer. They bring up some objection that I can't disprove. And so we're just sort of afraid, I think, to engage. It's safer just to sort of say some things that we think are true and walk away. Uh, but if we're going to faithfully evangelize, we have to cross over that, that barrier of just sharing information and seek to persuade men. But there's a danger on the other side of the coin. Some people become hyper-focused on persuasion. They become so eager to win someone to Christ that they end up crossing boundaries that they shouldn't cross. And that's a very real danger. Maybe some of you have seen that before. Um, there's a danger of becoming manipulative, becoming coercive, and we start doing more than just sharing the truth of the gospel in order to try to make a sale and close the deal. Um, some people use the power and the force of their own personality. Um, I'm pretty sure just because I stand up front and I speak for a living that I could probably coerce all of the children under the age of seven today um, to praying a prayer for salvation. Just because of the power of personality and, and the forcefulness of words and I could ask leading questions and I'm sure none of them would be able to disagree with me. That doesn't make it right. There are boundaries to what we should do in terms of persuading men to believe because we're not just trying to get people to agree intellectually and we're not just trying to get them to repeat words after us. We want to see the heart changed and that's a miracle that only God can do. So there's boundaries and limits to what we do even in our efforts to persuade men. Jesus even told the disciples, listen, if you go to a town and you share this message with them and they reject you, at some point you wipe the dust off your feet and you move on. There are limits to our efforts to persuade um, men and women to believe. Um, there's a danger in this also that some people in their eagerness to win souls, their eagerness to reach the lost, they will start using things other than the gospel to reach people. There's a very real danger to this sort of pragmatism. What you win people with is what you win them to. So if I win people with a powerful personality and razor-sharp logic, you know what those people are now devoted followers of? My powerful personality and some razor-sharp logic that I probably learned somewhere else, right? Um, we don't want to create followers of us. We don't want to win people to uh, a certain style of music. We don't want to entertain people so that they develop this appetite for entertainment because then we have to keep entertaining them. No, what are we doing when we evangelize? We're seeking followers of Jesus, which means that if we share something other than Jesus, if we call them to something other than submission to Christ and faith in Christ, if we persuade them with something else or win them with something else, we may have gained a follower, but we haven't made a disciple of Jesus. We've made a disciple of something or someone else. 
So we have to be careful in our efforts to persuade, in our efforts to, to convince, in our, in our disputations with others, in our reasoning with others. We have to share the gospel with them and win them with the gospel, win them to Christ, not to us, not reaching them with some other tool, some other message. Um, we have to be careful and um, intentional when it comes to this area of persuasion that what must be the persuasive thing is the gospel itself. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And that's why Paul determined to preach Christ and him crucified and nothing else because the message itself, the gospel, must be the persuasion. Yes, there's other things we can share, but those things need to be pointing to Christ. Um, They need to be uh, connected to the message of the gospel itself. We don't want to make followers of man. We don't want to win converts to a system. We don't want to appeal to people's flesh or, or their hobbies or their interests in entertainment or other hungers. We want to win them to Christ. Um, and that requires a work of the Spirit, um, which means there's limits to the things that we would do to try to persuade men. Um, so to biblically summarize this duty, evangelism, to bring it all home at the end, is proclaiming the gospel message with a desire to persuade men to repent and believe. That is evangelism. If we haven't shared certain content, certain information about God and man and sin and the work of Jesus Christ, then we haven't evangelized. And if we haven't called men to repent and believe, if there's no desire to to invite them to respond to that gospel message, we haven't actually shared the full gospel message. It's a, it's a message that demands a response. Um, so biblical evangelism is the announcement of this good news, the good news that God is, through Christ, reconciling sinners to himself. But it's paired together with this invitation to respond, that men and women are called to repent and believe. And we believe that God desires to use us as his mouthpieces, to broadcast that message. He desires to use us as his ambassadors to urge men, to plead with men, to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. So if we're going to do evangelism, we need to get this message down, and we need to grow in our ability to engage with others in a persuasive way. So that's what we hope to do in this class. We'll go into more detail about what the gospel is in weeks to come. We'll go into more detail about how we invite sinners to respond, how we aim to persuade them. We're going to learn from Christ. We'll learn from the apostles. We're going to learn from what scripture says is the gospel. And our hope is that you will be encouraged. You'll be helped. You'll be equipped because evangelism isn't just something that I do or a few gifted individuals are supposed to do. Evangelism is a work of the ministry that we all participate in in different ways. So I encourage you to keep coming back Sunday mornings. Uh, We'll come back next week, and I'm going to look at a number of reasons why we should evangelize. So next week, we'll look at a list of reasons why we should evangelize. So I hope you'll come back for that. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word and the way that it lays out for us so clearly what is the gospel and what it means to share the gospel. I pray that in the weeks to come, that you would help me and Stephen and Dan as we teach through these issues, that we would make it clear that we would faithfully equip 
the saints in this church to be able to do the work of the ministry. And I pray for those who attend this class um, that they would be able to understand and that you would give them courage uh, and give them a personal sense of conviction that they would be compelled to share Christ with those who are lost. Pray that you would protect us from complacency, from thinking that we as a church have somehow arrived. Uh, Help us to keep our mission always squarely in view. And I pray that you would um, protect us also from a a stunted growth that, that grasps biblical truth, grasps the message of the Bible, but then that message doesn't overflow into sharing it with others. I pray that you would bring that, psych, that, that whole idea full cycle, that the truth that we receive and understand and believe would change us and that it would lead to worship and lead to sharing these truths with those who need to hear them. So Lord, bring us to maturity as a church and help each of us to grow in this important spiritual discipline. Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to be obedient and we want to see sinners saved for your glory and for the joy of your people. So we pray your blessing on this class in the weeks to come. Amen.